I make a living flying helicopters, which reminds me of a joke. How do you know if you're talking to a helicopter pilot? Well, a helicopter pilot will let you know that they're a helicopter pilot and bring it up constantly in conversation. In aviation, safety is paramount. And because of that, any concerns or doubts about safety are taken seriously. We do pre-flight risk assessments where safety concerns and doubts are scored. And if the cumulative score is too great, the flight is canceled until the doubts are mitigated. Also, in flight, we are constantly reassessing safety risks and will adjust our plans mid-flight and even turn around or land at the nearest open area if doubts, concerns, or risks get too high. So as a pilot, we are taught to not only listen to, but also develop that inner part of our consciousness that causes us to doubt because it's something that keeps us alive. Recently, I have been reading a book titled Faith After Doubt by Brian D. McLaren as part of a book club. Reading the book clued me into the idea that doubt can be used to grow spiritually. The author doubts stages of doubt that we as believers go through. Many of us in the book club identified going through those stages of doubt almost exactly as described by the book's author. Simultaneously, many express feeling unsatisfied within the confines of our ecclesias, yearning for something more but not wanting to abandon friends, loved ones, and places that we have strong ties to. The recent pandemic seems to be the catalyst that forced many to rethink our relationships with our ecclesias and our faith communities through the shock of not being able to meet in person and having to switch to Zoom and web streaming. For some, it seems to be it seems the prospects of life and death due to COVID-19 brought doubts to the forefront. For others, the doubts have been in the background for a long period of time. So I wonder, why is it that, in a spiritual sense, I have been discouraged from doubting? Perhaps, if doubt is something that keeps me alive professionally, doubt can be something that keeps me alive spiritually. Reflecting on all this helped me get to the point where I could be honest and acknowledge my spiritual doubts. That I wasn't alone in having them, and to realize that I can learn and grow from them. So doubt has become particularly interesting to me, since I have switched from doubt being something to be ashamed of, to it being a useful tool to help identify things that are unsettled. Let's take some time to further explore some of the types of doubts out there. Doubts in ourselves, we'll call these self-doubt. Doubts in other, which we'll call social doubt. Doubts in our faith, spiritual doubt. And doubts in our impulses, positive, self-preserving doubt. Doubts in ourselves. Doubts in ourselves can be our insecurities. We don't think we're up to the task ahead, or we think that we're beyond forgiveness, redemption, or undeserving of love, which leads to self-judgment. Doubts in others. Doubts in others grows out of witnessing people acting badly, when the powerful exploit the weak, when bad actions are committed, especially in the name of something good, or even questioning the fellowship and social practices of our ecclesias and communities, which leads to judgments against each other within our ecclesia. Doubts in our faith. Does God really exist? Is the Bible that we have truly the inspired word of God? Does God really want us to discriminate against people based on gender and sexual orientation? Does God want and therefore cause terrible things to happen? Things like wars and disasters that cause so much suffering? Doubts in our impulses. Doubts in our impulses are doubts because of fear. They are the types of doubt that keep us from getting hurt, that keep us from acting impulsively because of the fear of the consequences. This is positive self-preserving doubt. For example, we shouldn't just do or say the first thing that comes to mind. Or maybe we should rethink our plans before committing to them. Another way of thinking of this would be the times when doubt and fear overlap. 
It is important to note that many times doubts and fear go hand in hand. To me, it breaks down to the idea that doubt is a feeling that something might be wrong and the fear, and we fear the consequences of what the doubt is about. In other words, we fear the results of our actions, so we doubt taking that action. And this fear can also be centered around our spiritual doubt. Fear of not belonging if we share that we have doubts about God or the Bible being 100% literal. Depending on the types of doubts we are experiencing, we might have different strategies to address it. For example, self-doubt might be addressed by seeing a counselor or therapist. However, those professionals most likely aren't equipped to deal with spiritual doubts. Deep spiritual doubts about our creator and our purpose may need to be worked out in solitude for a while and may need to be shared and tackled with a close confidant eventually. In any case, the first step is to ad admit the doubt exists. I have some doubts. I doubt that 100% of what I have been taught and experienced was the truth. That maybe we have not only gotten the social aspects of, of fellowship wrong, but also that we have interpreted the message of the Bible wrong. My questions are whether I have been mistaken in how best to serve and worship the Lord. For years, I doubted if I should get baptized as a Christadelphian due to the unamended, unamended split. I wanted, and still want, no part in that sort of legalism. Why are we arguing about trivial matters when there are huge issues to be solved? How come we spend so much time studying and developing our knowledge of the Bible, but so little time expressing our faith through works as described in James 2? Are we modern day versions of the scribes and Pharisees? I doubted the entire premise of the unamended amended division to the point that I doubted our entire fellowship and did not want to be baptized. But over time, I began to understand this doubt as a social doubt, not as a spiritual doubt. I grew when I decided that other people's actions, good and bad, can't be allowed to dictate my relationship with God. Through doubting, I have come to the idea that it is important to not be so prideful to think that we have perfected following Christ. From time to time, we might need to re-examine our actions and motivations to recognize that while many amazing things have been accomplished in God's name, many times we as believers are falling flat on our faces in our walk. Our actions, while noble in principle, can oftentimes end up being the opposite of loving and Christ-like. I cringe at my behaviors in the past toward people from other faiths. How quickly I allowed myself to think that me and my group were superior Christians, that other groups were simultaneously beneath us and en enemies. Faithful people doubted. <clears throat> Taking a look in the Bible, we read about Abraham and Sarah having doubts. Starting in the first place to read about them, which is Genesis 12, Abraham, like so many of us, heard the call of our Creator and started out, started out on a journey. However, almost immediately, Abraham doubted. In this case, for him and Sarah's safety while traveling through foreign lands. Sarah laughs at the thought of having children so late in life, doubting that she could bir give birth to a great nation in her 90s. They both had completely understandable reasons to doubt for their safety, for their ability to be blessed with something they wanted so badly but hadn't been able to achieve for years. In Judges 6, Gideon doubts that the Lord is with his people since they are being brutally oppressed by their enemies, the Midianites. Gideon was also called into action, but he doubted that he could be the one to save his people since he was the least of his family and his clan was the least of their tribe. He asked for multiple signs before he could believe his small group could go against a large enemy. I can't think of anyone with any common sense who wouldn't have those same doubts. In John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29, we read about Thomas, 
someone whose name is synonymous with doubting. He needed to see and feel the physical damage to Jesus' body before he could suspend his doubts in the resurrection. Abraham, Sarah, and Gideon doubted themselves, and they all, including Thomas, doubted God's ability to fulfill his promises. But we also know that they were examples of faith, as recounted in Hebrews 11, which opens up the question, were they faithful in spite of their doubts, or were they faithful because of their doubts? Doubt is not the opposite of faith. O ye of little faith is not a different way of saying, O ye of much doubt. Doubt may very well open the door to our spiritual growth. We have the preceding and many other examples of doubt throughout the Bible. Doubt is, in fact, a very common feeling for people. And not just in a spiritual sense. We experience doubt in many daily occasions, as well as the bigger life-altering events and everything in between. Doubting is a very routine human experience. In fact, it probably saves us from a lot of pain and suffering when we pause before doing something impulsive. For example, I doubt I can jump off the roof and into the pool without getting hurt. I think maybe I shouldn't just go yell at my bosses because I want because they won't give me a raise and I want one. Or I doubt if now is a good time to buy a house. When it comes to everyday life, we hopefully have people we can trust and who we can confide in about our doubts. And of course we can always pray about them. But it struck me that as a group we almost never hear anyone talking about their spiritual doubts. People are ashamed to admit them or openly talk about them. As if the moment you have admitted a doubt, you'll be stoned or excommunicated. But doubt does not equal sin because Christ doubted too. But he didn't sin. Therefore, doubt can't equal sin. I think we should be cautious in assuming what Christ's thoughts were. With that being said, I also think we have some glimpses into how Christ dealt with doubt. In Matthew 26, verses 36 to 39, Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It was Matthew 26, verses 36 to 39. In his prayer in Gethsemane, I think we might be seeing Christ doubting his own strength to persevere through his coming trials. He experienced a positive, self-preserving type of doubt. It is important to note how, when faced with those fears and doubts, he defers to his Father. In Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46, Jesus prayed during his crucifixion. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lamas samachbadi, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 45 to 46. Jesus was perfect, stronger in faith and in many other ways than any other person could ever be. But even he, after hours of agony, slowly suffocating, nailed to a cross, moments before death, when he was exhausted, appears to have had doubts deep down too. And who could blame him for that? I don't think he would have felt shame in how he reacted in that situation. The weight of the world on his shoulders, at the focal point of God's ultimate plan. I think those doubts and fears from earlier were on the verge of coming true for him. 
The scariest possibility was to be separated from his father. We know Christ did not sin, and as best as I can tell, Christ doubted, which therefore means to me that doubt does not equal sin. Doubt is a normal reaction for all of us. Thinking of the examples of Christ doubting helps bring us to the realization that the question is not if we should doubt, but how can we use doubt for spiritual growth? Doubting and then reacting the right way can lead to growth. But unfortunately, on the other hand, doubts and fears left to fester unaddressed lead to negative outcomes. For an analogy, an air, if an aircraft gets a rusty spot or some corrosion, you can paint over it and it'll work for a period of time, but the rust and decay will continue beneath the surface and eventually not only the damage come back to the surface, but the underlying structure will be damaged. Eventually that aircraft won't be safe to fly and over time the whole thing will fall apart. Likewise, if we have spiritual doubts and just continue on like normal, throwing on our Sunday best and putting on a smile, it'll probably work out for a while, years even, but eventually it will catch up and most likely be worse. The work needs to be put in. Problems need to be faced and addressed. It starts with being honest about with ourselves and those around us. We also need to be compassionate and supportive of others in their, in their time of need and deep doubts when they are most vulnerable. We cannot simply just be judgmental. We should strive to foster a loving environment where we can be open with each other. But too often the opposite happens. It is a learned behavior that we need to hide our issues because we may be punished by the group for speaking up. Those squeaky wheels should get, get the grease, but instead it oftentimes gets the hammer. Unfortunately, there are plenty of real-life examples of people who've had doubts, can fear, concerns, fears, whatever they may be, and they kept them to themselves until eventually it grew to the point where the, it was more painful to suppress those feelings than to continue on with the status quo, and they stopped attending. If someone doesn't have a group of people they feel safe, comfortable, and respected by to go to for help, they might just leave the group. Think back over the years about the people who used to attend memorial service and then just disappeared, or the young ones who no longer attend Sunday school. People don't study the Bible, hear the gospel message, decide to get baptized, and then just wake up one day an atheist. Year after year, churches all over the world are becoming more and more empty. It's not trending in a good direction, and it is a very real possibility that we are failing ourselves. Ignoring doubts can lead to spiritual death. Unaddressed, unaddressed doubt leads to pain and more problems, but it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, doubt can be an instrument of growth. Cross-checking our course. When traveling, you need to make constant course corrections. If on route somewhere you get the feeling you're going the wrong way, it's smart to stop and pull out a map or ask directions, not just be stubborn and maybe get lost or go way out of the way. While flying, we have many tools to cross-check our course, Satellite positioning like GPS, ground-based homing beacons, requesting help from air traffic controllers on the ground, or tracking us with radar, celestial navigation, and even simple compasses. Remember, our lives are a constant journey. We do, don't just believe, get baptized, and say, mission accomplished. We will need to put in constant effort every day until the current constraints of life are lifted from us. Doubt, when used properly, allows us to go back to our foundations and build back up stronger. Start with our rock, our solid foundation, and carefully go from there. Where do we start and what is our foundation? In 1 Peter chapter 2, we read that Christ is the cornerstone. Therefore, 
rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a, co a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-8 through eight. Christ is the cornerstone. He laid the groundwork and has given us the blueprints. Our building materials are the fruits of the Spirit, as we read in Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. We need to be very mindful to reset and use only the right materials and the right motivations. We must recognize that we will need to go back to ground level and use Christ as our cornerstone to grow and to build from there. What we end up building should exemplify him and be a reflection of his character. It is also important to recognize we cannot be perfect. Eventually we need to rebuild again. We need to doubt and to check if our building is starting to lean or check if through neglect we are letting the building deteriorate. The idea of rebuilding is repeated over and over again in the Bible. Think of the children of Israel turning from God, then being wiped out, repenting, then building back up again, and later on repeat, repeating that cycle. Or the law of Moses being fulfilled and rebuilt in Christ, or being reborn through baptism. Oftentimes, doubts come from the inconsistencies between how we enact our beliefs and what we know about Jesus' teaching. In psychology, we call this cognitive dissonance. The basic example of this is that I follow Christ's teachings on love while also behaving in an unloving way to others, which creates an uncomfortable feeling. That uncomfortable feeling we get inside from cognitive dissonance is a reflection of doubt. This is another reason why it's important to doubt. It is a way for us to identify when we are diverging from Christ's teachings, which gives us a chance to get back on track. When working on spiritual doubts, it's important to be cognizant that our faith is about our relationship with Christ and God. In particular, when the doubt has to do with the Bible, it can be helpful to compartmentalize the Bible as something separate and different from our relationship with God and Jesus. This means that our doubts in the Bible don't have to threaten our relationship with Christ and our Father. The Bible is an important tool, but it is nothing without them. They are the foundation the Bible is built upon, not the other way around. Our faith is about our relationship with God. In order to under, better understand God and our relationship, we develop beliefs. Those beliefs are made up of many ideas we have learned over time as we have grown. However, the chances are that a few of those beliefs are flawed. Finding those flaws and working on them is vital. Just as it is vital to find flaws in an aircraft's design and components, as well as the flaws in the training of the and procedures of the pilots who fly them. Replacing damaged and defective parts doesn't stop an aircraft from flying again. Retraining pilots doesn't stop them from flying again. It's the opposite. 
making repairs and retraining are what keeps us flying for years to come. This is all part of why it's okay to doubt, question, and change individual beliefs. Individual beliefs are not the same as our faith or our relationships with God. The process of doubting, questioning, and changing strengthens and refines our faith. My own warning lights. I have experienced personal growth over the past few years, and the scriptural passage that both set off alarms and warning lights and helped me see more clearly was Galatians 3. I have come to fully understand what it means to say that we are all created equal, to be loved by God, and to serve and worship God. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come. We are no longer under the, a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to a promise. Galatians 3, verses 23 to 29. Paul explains how we are set free from the law in Galatians. I have come to realize that I have been part of the problem. I was happy to accept that it doesn't matter I'm not Jewish. All of us, including myself, are able to be part of the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not through a genetic birthright, but through a spiritual birthright after being reborn through baptism, because there is no Jew or Greek. I was also happy to accept that it does not matter if my ancestors were slaves in the past or if the law of this land had not been changed 150 years ago, that I would have been subject to that same bondage, because God does not judge based on our race, as if there is even more than one single race made in God's image. Our lot in life, our status in the world, how much money we have is not what is important. Faith and what we do because of it is what matters, because there is no slave or free. But I now believe I was mistaken when I thought that for some reason it mattered what set of chromosomes people were born with. I was willing to ignore the part that says there is no male and female, and then vote for only men to be on the list of people who can read the Bible up front on Sundays, or be the treasurer, or be the Sunday school superintendent, because there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And where I feel the most guilt is this. Upholding divisions based on gender is hurting a group of people I am supposed to love. I think it can be demonstrated that we are hurting women and girls by not treating them to be equals in faith, equals in service to God, as if God doesn't love certain of us as much as others. There are many examples in the Bible where the firstborn ends up less than the secondborn, like Jacob and Esau, who was fashioned first out of the dust of the earth, Adam, who was next fashioned out of the same building materials and given the same breath of life, Eve. Somehow, I, as a man, can tell a woman how she can serve God. I realized I was wrong because I chose to have beliefs instead of faith. Paul is teaching us that it doesn't matter what our genetics are or our status or any other type of metric people have come up with. Jesus came to unite, not to divide. What matters is our faith. That was a lesson it took me much too long to fully learn. I got to this point when I realized I only wanted sons and not daughters. Sure, if you had asked me, I would have said, I just want a healthy kid when my wife was pregnant. But deep down, I was rooting for a boy. Unfortunately, 
it kind of makes sense to think that way when you look at the world and see how women are treated, and then you come to the safety of our church and see all the restrictions that we place on women. And I ask myself, is this sexism an example of the love of God? Was this built out of the fruits of the Spirit? Or is this a tradition of men that I choose to believe? The more I thought about it, the more it seems to parallel the racism that's plagued this country since its foundations. I know the slave masters had all sorts of Bible verses to justify their actions, similar to all the Bible verses that can be used to justify sexism, none of which exemplifies loving God or our neighbors as ourself. I recognize the misogyny within myself that it is wrong and that I don't want to perpetuate that type of thinking, and I count that as personal growth. I doubted my previous belief, worked out the issue, and grow. The process caused me to grow in my faith and to be more Christ-like. Doubts of all kinds are an inevitable part of our lives. While our first instinct might be to see doubt as a negative 100% of the time, it has its place and it can be used positively. Contrary to the fear that facing our doubts mean we will lose our faith, leaving doubts unaddressed is more, much more likely to cause that. To clarify, we should Doubt our egos, our pridefulness, the part of us where the lusts of the flesh sprout out like weeds, the part of us that says, me first, I am supreme, I have, I want more, look at me. As a group, we should doubt ourselves when we begin to act like the scribes and Pharisees who are so quick to interpret the law to justify their selfishness and to condemn others and so slow to humble themselves and to love their neighbors. Use doubt like the examples of the faithful people in the Bible to sort out what is God's will versus what is man's will. We read about Jesus going through similar types of temptations in Luke 4. He felt the pull towards sin, but he doubted that he should give in to that pull. Like a pilot doubts if it's a good idea to do a risky maneuver to get to the destination faster. We should take this example of how Christ dealt with the pull towards sin in his heart and strive to identify and turn from the wrong ways and instead listen to the still, small voice that is so easily drowned out. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, our minds, and love our neighbors, whoever they are. Faith expressed through love, like Christ did when he gave his life for our salvation. In conclusion, doubt is a completely normal feeling to have, and in many cases, a good indication of being a well-adjusted and mature person. There are different types of doubts, from the short-term, momentary doubt that helps, us, helps keep us from doing something impulsive, to the long-term doubts about difficult topics. There are different subjects to doubt, ourselves, our groups, and our faith. We should resist avoiding our doubts and hiding them, out of shame or habit, and instead trust our conscience to help identify things that are important to investigate. Facing doubts will oftentimes mean facing our insecurities being honest and vulnerable. We need to learn to listen to our hearts and our conscience. Our doubts should be sought out and examined. Taking a page from aviation, we must recognize how, how fragile our flight towards righteousness is. Reaching our goals safely won't happen by accident. Doubts are the warning system that lets us know it's time to land our spiritual aircraft for repairs, after which we can depart again safely and improved.